The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It is no substitute for professional care by your doctor or your qualified healthcare professional. Never disregard or delay professional medical advice because of something you've heard on this podcast or in any linked material. Guests who speak on this podcast express their own opinions, experience, and conclusions. Dr. Shirley neither endorses nor opposes any particular opinion discussed on this podcast. The views expressed on this podcast have no relation to those of any academic, hospital, practice, institution, or other entity with which Dr. Shirley may be affiliated. Welcome to Forever Fab, the podcast on fashion, the art of living, and all things beauty. This podcast is curated by Dr. Shirley Madir, MD, as the definitive source of holistic wellness through beauty. This week's episode is dedicated to shedding stress to be your best self. Welcome to another installation of MDTV on the Forever Fab podcast. Today's topic is real wellness for real weight loss results in real time. This is my interview with Dr. Jada Moore Ruffin. Welcome, Dr. Moore Ruffin. How are you? I am Fab. Yes, you are. (laughs) Absolutely. Yes, you are. Hence your presence on the Forever Fab podcast. Let me tell our listeners just a little bit about you and the amazing things that you have accomplished to date. Dr. Jada Moore Ruffin is a primary care physician with over 20 years experience in practice. After she observed that many medical weight-related issues are potentially preventable, she developed her second specialty of bariatric medicine. She focused on metabolism and hormone therapies and uses a holistic approach to wellness. Can you see now why I love her? Moreover, recognizing that the psychological effects of stress, shame, guilt, and judgment around obesity were just as significant as food and exercise and also the mindset, she also became a certified abundant life path coach so she could help more people regain control of their lives and guide them to success on every level, holistically inside and out. Dr. Jada is in Atlanta, Georgia, and her practice, REAL, stands for Renew, Empower, Achieve, and Live. She joins me today via StreamYard to discuss the diversification of her practice, how she came to be, how she transforms other people's lives, and how she is just simply fabulous. Welcome, Dr. (laughs) Jada. Congratulations on your success, and thank you for becoming a beautiful member of the Forever Fab community. Thank you so much, Dr. Shirley. I'm so glad to be here today. And, you know, I was just listening to my own bio, and I'm like, (laughs) yeah, all of that stuff is still true. So I, I, I love being here to share with your audience, and I appreciate your graciousness. Uh, thank to be you. in the community. Thank you Officially. so very much. Offic- <laughs> it's official. You are a beautiful member of the Forever Fab community, and it is an, a, quite an incredible community. So let's dive in and let's see what you got for us. Let's do it. Let's do it. Now, where and how did you grow up, and how did you decide to become a physician? Every physician has a how I became a doctor story. What is yours? Yes. So I grew up in um, Memphis, Tennessee, what would be kind of considered an average uh, neighborhood in South Memphis. I live right across the street 
uh, from the Crystal Palace, which is an amazing skating rink that we all gravitated to. I went to public school in my neighborhood. I actually walked back and forth to school. Imagine that. And um, <laughs> it wasn't until I was in high school that I really started to seriously think about what I wanted to do. And all the way up to 11th grade, I had no clue, but I knew that it would be something that would be helping people. And I knew that I gravitated to science. So I had an experience uh, that a new, a new girl moved to the neighborhood and I began to befriend her. And what I discovered in visiting her is that her mom at a very young age, even younger than years ago, uh, had been diagnosed with breast cancer. Oh, well, dear. I ended up seeing visiting that friend very often, and I found that more and more I was visiting her mother than I was her, so much so that she would leave and do other things. Wow. So what I discovered then is that I had found my calling. I knew that I wanted to help people. I knew I wanted to help sick people to be well. And although, unfortunately, all of my interventions as a high schooler did not result in her longevity, she did succumb to cancer at the age of 36. Ooh. And that was the beginning of a, a, a path for me that has, has definitely been a part of my calling as well as a part of my career. Dr. Jada, you chose to enter into primary care, which traditionally is not based on a very holistic approach to illness. How and when did you decide to pivot or transition to a holistic-based practice? Or for you, had you always practiced this way? I had always been what we now can call a wellness-based practitioner. So I always knew that there was more to what I saw as a solution than what had shown up in the text and in the training up until that point. Okay. So I made myself a student outside of my training to to bring in other elements that intuitively my soul knew were missing. This was before wellness was beautiful, sexy, catchy, profitable, <laughs> a commercial, commercial. Exactly. <laughs> so this was really an inner knowing and sensing that there was something more I had to be able to offer than a prescription. And so I, I went in search of that. And I practiced that as much as I could over and over and over. And the cycle continued. Study, practice, study, practice, study, practice. I love that you said a few things I'm going to repeat. An inner knowing. I also appreciate that you said that you knew that you could offer more. And what you did was you decided to take your the investment in your education for your patients outside of your practice and outside of what we traditionally learn as physicians. So you and I share those in common because, yes, you, you know that you have more than you can offer, and I did also. You had an inner knowing that there was more to what you learned so that you could offer more to your patients and be of greater assistance, and you took yourself outside of your traditional practice or your traditional training to learn more, study more, practice more. So I very much appreciate those aspects of your journey and your experience because I share them with you. Now, related to that, everyone is talking about functional medicine, right? Going to the root cause of disease. What do you think is the role of function, functional medicine in medicine today? Because many functional medicine practitioners don't accept insurance 
and you know some of the um, diagnoses or the experiences and consultations are very lengthy, involve lots of testing, and therefore there are certain parts of the demographic for whom this is not accessible. So how, what do you think the role of functional medicine can be for all communities? Right now, I see functional medicine and medicine like functional medicine, integrative medicine as a, as a specialty adjunct to what is already existing in the system that people are familiar with. Yeah. I'm not necessarily suggesting it is the system that we that will give us the sustainability and longevity that we deserve and are looking for in a healthcare system. However, it is what we have now and it is what we are familiar with. The same is with insurance. I think there is a current dependency on this because that's what we have known. I don't think that will always be so. So in the interim, I believe that functional medicine, integrative medicine, wellness-based care is pioneering a new way of integrating uh, healthcare, wellness-based uh, care, and 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 person-based partnership with your physician or specialist, so that together you are uh, creating or there's the culmination of health and well-being that you are the leadership of as the patient, as the individual. So a patient comes to your office and they are not familiar with wellness at all, except maybe what they saw a commercial on television, where they saw someone doing a yoga move. (laughs) What is your method of introducing patients to, frankly, to an overall generalized wellness lifestyle before you even get to what is your diagnosis? Right. I believe Often what happens and people are prepared to lead with when they come into a medical professional's office is what's wrong. So because that's, again, we're meeting people where they are, they are often showing up with what is wrong. The second thing by the time they're seeing me is they're showing up saying, I've been to all of these different people and nobody can tell me what's going on. Mm -hmm. So then now I have a foot in the door and I can say, okay then we, we, we know what you have done. Now let's talk about the things that we haven't tapped into up until this point. And let me give you some ideas that I have. Let's do some investigating. So I always believe that starting with the data and the diagnostics are the first place. Part of the data is listening to the patient, yeah. listening to the person. And from there, we begin to look at every aspect of their lives in which we call in primary care and family medicine training, the biopsychosocial model. So all of those elements that make up your existence, how are they coming together to create this current reality? And what do we need to do to shift that? I agree with that wholeheartedly in my practice, which, uh, and I borrowed this term, um, I refer to that bio physicality, psychosocialness as the dimensions of wellness, right? Physical, Mm -hmm. emotional, psychological, financial, et cetera, because all those things affect the individual who presents to your office on a particular day. Yes. Now, the, the body positivity and the body neutrality movements or sentiments, um, have really caused us to look at how our bodies are and, how they appear to others and to ourselves. So there's some debate actually about weight gain. Is it, is it unhealthy at all? 
Well, um, in the space that I that I, in the position that I come from as a healthcare professional, as a physician, as an obesity medicine specialist, mm. obviously I'm looking at how this can be uh, either potentially harmful, and how can we remove those risk and harm? Because we definitely have data and studies that support that people, many people, uh, proportionately people who are at a higher weight tend to have higher um, incidences and prevalence of problems, physical, mental, and emotional. Mm. And also, we're seeing this data go into the relational, into the economical. So we're actually seeing where people who have excess weight or higher weights are, are high, experience higher premiums on their insurance. Like wow. there's so many things that we're starting to see the depth of this condition. So I can't really look at it from a position of extreme neutrality right. or to turn an eye as if this does not exist as a real health problem and a real person-centered problem if they are not aware of how these things can be influences both positively and negatively in their in their lifetime. So I, I, I hope that answers that may have sound like a radiology answer. Like <laughs> no, no slight to the radiologist. That may see this. <laughs> no, thank you for that. Actually, you did provide clarity on that. And I appreciate that you, you answered it in that way, because yes, of course, we should love our bodies. We should absolutely all love our bodies the way that they are, or if you choose to enhance them. However, we must also look at the you know, the health aspects of how our bodies are. And if there are certain correlations with whether it's, you know, BMI or body mass index or, you know, weight or other things that correlate to dis-ease or lack of well-being, then we should look at those things and therefore look back at our, at our bodies and see if there's anything that we can do. So thank you for clarifying that answer. So let's look at the data. Um, Obviously, many people know that one of the potential causes of weight gain um, is overeating, not exercising, etc. But what are some other perhaps unknown or less well-known causes of weight gain that you see in your practice? Absolutely. So we, we find that historically there's, all, there's often been this approach, even in the medical community, uh, when you go to your doctor uh, with and they say to you lose weight and you say how well they say exercise more and eat less that's what my doctor told me exactly exercise more eat less yeah <laughs> and that's almost the extent of that guidance and so it, most of the time by the time a person has come into the office and you can help them identify that they have a weight issue that they may have tried that hmm. and if they have they may have uh, succeeded to some extent and they may not have it su succeeded at all. So what I know is that eating less and exercising more are core tenets, but they are not solo solutions. Some of the things that I, I also would, would say let's look at is let's look at hormones. Let's look at hormones like even just male, female hormones, testosterone levels, estrogen levels, progesterone levels. Let's look at other hormones that affect metabolism. Let's look at insulin levels. Let's look at cortisol levels. Let's look at thyroid levels. Let's look at adrenal function. Let's look at other neurotransmitters that affect how our bodies um, metabolize, how they operate, how our brain communicates with our gut. 
So let's look at serotonin. Let's look at dopamine. Let's look at norepinephrine. But also, if we're stepping outside of that, let's look at vitamin uh, nutritional status. Let's look at amino acids. Let's look at what are the core things that are necessary for the body to function at the level that it needs to in order to perform well enough to keep to keep weight and energy balanced. Mm -hmm. So there are a number of things. Now, there may be other things that we don't know. For example, significant health conditions, medications make a difference. Um, um, sometimes it's uh, the uh, other underlying conditions mm -hmm. that would affect how the body would function. What I think we often overlook, though, are some of the simpler things that affect how our bodies metabolize and release weight. Just simple things. So I'm always going to go back to my core, looking at how you sleep. What's the quality yeah. of your sleep? What's the Absolutely. quantity of your sleep? Looking at how do you how does stress come and go in your life? Does it come more than it goes? So how do we deal with that? And what's the impact of your of that on your life? Looking at uh, what you do for fun. How much fun are you getting in your life? How much of your happy hormones are releasing? What are you doing to uh, save space for yourself to be in the enjoyment of life? How does that balance with your work experiences and what you're giving and giving and giving as a caregiver or as a leader or as a mom or as a spouse? So where are you incorporating you into your narrative? Other things, of course, eating healthy foods, foods that nourish you, not just eating less, but eating more of the foods that nourish you and then the less of the things that don't. So it's not just the calories or the amount of foods, it's the nutritional value and where do you source those. Also looking at things that may be a hindrance, for example, toxins that we bring into our system, alcohol for one. Do you know that's one of the biggest things that happened over the pandemic? that not only did food consumption uh, increase significantly, but alcohol consumption mm -hmm. increased significantly as a coping me mechanism for many, as well as other drug uses, including marijuana, which may be legal in certain states. That's not the, that's not the question at hand, but it's how we actually uh, find ourselves coping. So looking at that, how much outdoor time do you get? How much are you connecting with nature? How much are you unplugging to allow yourself time to restore? Part of what our body has to do is to restore, to be able to function or be in a high performing state. So if I use all of those and ask those questions and we can make some course corrections there, I think consistency would lead us to greater results. That is a beautifully thorough answer. And I thank you for that because it fascinates me that the weight loss industry, if I may generalize, tends to focus on one thing or the fitness industry tends to focus on one thing. If you want to lose weight, exercise more, do this, do these reps, do this, do that, do it every day, et cetera. Um, and maybe, you know, if you combine the two, you know, if you drink three shakes a day or as meal replacements, whatever, yes, of course, you're going to lose weight. But how sustainable is all that? Probably not very much. I've, I've been there myself. I'm currently there now, to actually. <laughs> not very sustainable, but, but I'm trying. But I appreciate that you did take into consideration this truly holistic approach to weight loss that many of us experience at various times in our lives and, and some of us for a very long time. So it isn't just about dieting and exercising. It isn't just about food consumption. It really is about nourishment. 
what nourishes you food-wise, who nourishes you relationship-wise or not. It's also about sleep. Are you getting enough adequate, not just a number of hours, but restful sleep? How are you managing your stress? Hormones. We all know (laughs) at a certain age, those become more of a contributor to managing our weight. Toxins, again, to your point, alcohol, drugs, people. Do you have toxic people in your life? (laughs) Right? Vitamins, whether you get them from a a whole plant-based diet or not, or you get them off the shelf, and self-care and the lack thereof. So to summarize your point, effectively managing weight has to do with restoration and balance of all of those factors. So of all of those factors, Dr. Jada, what would you say are your top one to three recommendations for managing weight? I mean, everyone is going to be different, but let's just say you had a whole swath of people across whom you could say, oh yeah, everyone, this applies to everyone. These one or two things apply to everyone. What would you say those two factors would be? Uh, Probably the two factors would be what you consume. It's definitely going to be what you consume what types of foods are you eating? Where do you source your foods? And we could spend a lot of time just talking about the science of eating, uh. of just eating, not just what you eat, but the physiology of eating and the strategies, which is what I ch- teach my uh, clients and my patients, is the strategy of food. So I believe that at the core of that is education. Right. And um, and so that would be a very key thing, because a lot of times people, believe it or not, think that they are eating healthy diets or they think that they are eating or they cut back and that cut back should result should lend itself to these high year results that it does not. So I would definitely say strategy around eating. And the second thing I will say is also something that you can self-manage yourself. You don't have to be outside. Uh, it, you may not have to see a specialist for someone like that, that. Someone like me, you can actually manage this at home yourself. Is how you care for yourself, mm-hmm. and I give that one kind of as a cheat answer because it encompasses so many other things. Yes, and when I say how you care for yourself, it's literally and truly saying how do I care for me. Yep. Absolutely. And if you heard the emphasis on that, it just goes really deeply to say, how do I care for myself from the spiritual inner core all the way out to the external choices that I make from day to day? Ask that question one more time, Dr. Jada. It bears repeating, please. So that question is, how do I care for myself means from the inner core of who I am, my inner me, my inner being and the guidance that is within that tells me how to, when to, what to do to care for myself, being keenly aware of that and in tune with it. And from that space, you are guided and led into how you will outwardly care for yourself in your day-to-day choices and experiences. So it does go back to self-knowing, doesn't it? Know yourself, know thyself. Self-awareness is, you're going to always hear me start with that, self-awareness. Wow. So how can we pay more attention to ourselves? How can we trust the knowing? Is it the little voice that says, oh, I wouldn't do that if I were you? 
Is it the overriding brain that says, actually, I would do that if I were you? How do we know <laughs> which of the voices in our heads? <laughs> well, you just gave a great example, a great depiction. If I were, were modeling this, you just did that. One is to be able to decipher between who's speaking. Mm. And now when you determine who's speaking, you can often tell when you're, when you're caring for yourself, you speak to yourself in a caring way. One example is how you would speak to a small child that has bumped their leg or bruise themselves? How would you approach a small child? What care and concern and compassion would you speak with them? What tone? And you just gave an example of the caring tone that is the self or the inner me saying, I want you to be better. I want you to be well. I want you to be happy and whole. Now, that other side is that negative self-talk is the same self-talk. It's the same demeanor and tone that would tell a, a hurting child, get up from there. You know better. You should be here. I told you not to do that in the first place. Mm -hmm. And so when we are reprimanding and we are coming out of space that out of a space that lacks compassion and grace and 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 love, then we know that we are speaking to ourselves outside of self-love. And that's a tip, that's a tip off to say, now, what would I really want to share with myself if I were gonna pick myself up from here and move forward? So that's one of the things that I would definitely say is be in a tune with who's in your ear. Absolutely. And I love that you use the, the analogy of taking care of, your, of a child because what we're probably doing in essence is really helping to take care of our inner child because as we grow up, depending on our experiences, microaggressions, macroaggressions, over racism, misogyny, <laughs> reversal of Roe versus Wade, <laughs> et cetera, we have probably been socialized or taught or coerced to abandon our inner child. And so talking to ourselves or knowing who's in our ear, if it is very nurturing to our inner child, then yeah, that might be a good direction or, you know, some good advice to listen to. Thank you again for that clarification. You've been listening to part one of the Forever Fab podcast with my guest, Dr. Jada Moore Ruffin. Stay tuned for part two. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Forever Fab, the podcast on fashion, the art of living, and all things beauty, curated by Dr. Shirley Madir, MD. Live beautifully and help make the world a more beautiful place.